making our way through this sermon series through the book of Acts, one of the things that kind of jumps off the page to you is how much the disciples have changed since the last time we saw them in the Gospels. Jesus is crucified, he's resurrected, you turn to Acts, and all of a sudden these almost feel like they're different people. For example, we're going to see today in Acts chapter 4 that Peter and John have been transformed from being fearful to being fearless. But before we think about the way God changed their lives, I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page, that God is still changing lives today. A couple Sundays ago, we said the fall theme this year is just going to be, you belong here. That no matter where you're from or what you did last night or what your story is like or what you look like, we want you to be a part of this community And so we just made this You Belong Here board out there, and we just asked you to take a Polaroid and take your picture with your family, friends, just you, whatever, because it's a way to remind all of us that Jesus didn't come to die for a building, and he didn't come to die for denominations. No, Jesus came to die for people, that we are the church, and that God has promised to work here in in a special way. Among us. And so that's why we made this big God did this board out there. Where people could just write down something God had been doing in their life. And I don't know if you had a chance to look at that board. But when I looked at it this week, I was just blown away by the kind of stories that people were sharing. So afraid you're not going to get by there. I just took some pictures. And I I, I just want to read some of these cards and what people are saying. He saved my marriage from sin and adultery. He gave me community and comfort during two miscarriages. He gave me living water when I was lost. That, that's one woman. Here's one of my favorites. God helped me get through the first two years of middle school. <laughs> In this world, that, that's saying something right there. Middle school might be the hardest time of life right there. Right? How about this one? God gave me a new solid identity in Jesus. So I no longer have to rely on my job, my family, my reputation to define me. Here's another person. God carried me through the pain of miscarriage and he held me close and he wrapped me with the love of friends and family. We'd only been in our small group for a few months, but they really showed up for us. And she goes on to tell all they did for her. God saved me from sex trafficking. God is at work here. God is doing something. How about this one? God showed me even through pain and loneliness that he is still with me. Another one, God saved my family from the crumbling effects of addiction. Here's a guy who tried to trick me. He said, I found Jesus on the jailhouse floor. Dude, I know a George Strait song when I see it. <laughs> Didn't work, but good, good try. <laughs> But, but maybe write your story. What, what's God done something in your life? And not put your name on it, put it on the board. But now we're in Acts. And so far in this series in Acts, we've seen a lot of firsts. First worship service, first sermon, first uh, missionaries. And today we see the first resistance to what God is doing. And remember in Acts chapter 3, last, last, the previous chapter, that, that Peter and John had healed this man who hadn't been able to walk his whole life. The religious leaders, they were not happy about that. They were even less happy that Peter and John were standing in the middle of Jerusalem talking about how Jesus had been crucified and resurrected. So they throw Peter and John in jail to shut them up. 
And there's this weird thing happening in Acts where you've got two things that seem contradictory, but they're happening at the same time. On the one hand, you, you, you have uh, uh, the religious leaders harassing, jailing, persecuting the Christians. And at the very same time, more and more people are becoming Christians. So they throw Peter and John into jail. And now we're up to like 5,000 people are part of this church in, in Jerusalem. So after they throw them in jail, the next day they, they call them to come appear before their group. And here, here's how it goes down in Acts 4. So they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or name did you do this? This refers to this healing that had happened. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to count today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with him, there was really nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. And they could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Hey, do you ever wonder why more people aren't like followers of Jesus? I have to admit I do. I mean, here, God sends Jesus to, to come to the world, to, to show his love and his mercy, to die uh, for the people's sins, to be resurrected. And then he commissions Christians to kind of be his ambassadors or representatives in the world to share this message of love and grace and mercy. And for some reason in my head, it seems like everybody should go, I want that. I want to be a Jesus follower. And of course, a lot of people have uh, over the centuries and today, but, but not as many as I would expect. Acts 4, I think, explains why not as many people follow Jesus as we'd expect them to. Because it gives this kind of powerful demonstration of what unbelief looks like in our lives. And the first thing we see in the chapter 4 is just unbelief rejects the message in spite of the evidence. Because one thing everybody knew, there's, there's one thing everybody agreed on. And that was this man who was 40 plus years old, who hadn't been able to walk since he was born, had been healed. Now, if the religious leaders could have lied about it, they would have. If they could have denied it, they would have. If they could have explained it away, they would have. But it's hard to explain it away when, as it said, everybody in Jerusalem knew what had happened. See, now you might think, oh, if, if you're religious leaders and you're opposing Jesus, 
And, and then they, they heal this guy. Everybody knows it. You know it. It's right there. You might go, oh, you know, I'm going to reconsider. Like, oh, let me think this through again. Maybe Jesus really was who he said he was, right? Maybe. Do they do that? No. No. See, we have this idea that most people, especially us, we believe things because of evidence. And if you gave us evidence that contradicted our current beliefs, that we would be open to changing our beliefs to be in line with the evidence. But that's not really the way any of us work. It's not the way human beings work. No, oftentimes we believe what we want to believe. We believe what we want to believe. And it turns out that people today are just as adept at denying the facts as they were 2,000 years ago. In 1994, Congress called the CEOs, the seven CEOs of the seven largest tobacco firms in to testify before Congress about the addictiveness of nicotine. Here we go, 1994. Let me uh, begin my questioning on the matter of uh, whether or not nicotine is addictive. Let me ask you first, and I'd like to just go down the row, uh, whether each of you believes uh, that nicotine is not addictive. I heard virtually all of you touch on it, and just yes or no. Do you believe nicotine is not addictive? I believe nicotine is not addictive, yes. Mr. Johnston. Uh, Congressman, cigarettes and nicotine clearly do not meet the classic definitions of addiction. There is no right. intoxication. We'll, we'll take that as a no, and again, time is short. If you could just, I think each of you believe nicotine is not addictive. We just would like to have this for the record. I don't believe that nicotine or our products are addictive. I believe nicotine is not addictive. I believe that nicotine is not addictive. I believe that nicotine is not addictive. And I too believe that nicotine is not addictive. Now, do you think those CEOs were following the evidence? Or do you think they believed it because that's what they wanted to believe? That maybe they had millions or, or, or billions of reasons to deny the facts and to believe what they wanted to believe. Well, that's what's happening in Acts chapter 4. That, that, that's what's happening with this unbelief. The religious leaders didn't want to believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be because they didn't want to lose their authority. They didn't want to lose their prominence, their position, their power. And so they denied the facts. They dismissed this lame man who had been healed. Aldous Huxley is this philosopher, author, wrote Brave New World, a book you may have heard about, maybe, maybe read. And he's super honest. He, he, he says, I didn't want Christianity to be true. Let's just read him. I wish I could put the whole thing up, but we just have excerpts. I had motives for not wanting the world to have a meaning. So he's really upfront and honest, right? I, I didn't want the world to have meanings. I didn't want it to constrain me. So let's keep going. Consequently, I assumed that it had none and was able without any difficulty to find satisfying reasons for this assumption. I didn't want it to be true. And so I found reasons to deny the truthfulness. So he keeps going. For myself, as no doubt for most of my friends, the philosophy of meaningless was essentially, catch this, an instrument of liberation from a certain system of Christian morality. So I, I, I wanted to live the way I wanted to live, so I denied the truthfulness, the facts that were in front of me. And he keeps going. 
We objected to the morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. There was one admirably simple method of justifying ourselves in our erotic revolt. We would deny that the world had any meaning whatsoever. So I, I love Huxley because he's so honest. And he just says, I, I wanted to do what I wanted to do. And so I just denied what was in front of me. I denied the facts because I didn't want to believe them. Not because they weren't true, but because I didn't want to believe them. See, behind unbelief is an unwillingness to submit to God. Behind unbelief is an insistence that I'm going to live the way that I want to live, and therefore I will deny the truth. Now, maybe that's not just something that happened 2,000 years ago, but maybe that's something you and I deal with. Like, can you think of anything in your life where, where you want something to be true, so you're denying what the Bible clearly teaches. You're denying what your conscience clearly tells you because you want it to be true. Maybe it's like Huxley and it's in the area of sexuality or maybe it's in the area of consumerism. Or, you, know, you know, I don't know. It could be whatever. But, but be careful. Be careful that what you want to be true so you can live the way you want to live doesn't uh, cause you to deny what the Bible, what Jesus clearly teaches. Now, now, Peter and John, they were thrown in prison. We're more likely to face cultural or social intimidation of some sort, right? That people would look at it and go, you really believe that, that Christianity thing? That's ridiculous. You know, intelligent people don't believe that anymore. You know, they, you need to get on the right side of history. That's, that's in the past. So in order to address that, I think we got to talk about the history of mom genes for just one second, right? So we all know mom jeans, right? The high-waisted, nine-inch, yeah. We all know the mom jean thing, right? They were around in the 80s and the 90s. And then they went out of style, praise be to God. And, and, and then, I know some of you are wearing them right now. And then, <laughs> wait, and then they were so out of style that in 2003, 2003, long time ago, Saturday Night Live and Tina Fey, could write this skit about mom jeans. Are you looking for the perfect gift for mom this Mother's Day? Introducing Mom Jeans, exclusively at JCPenney. Mom Jeans, Mom Jeans. Mom Jeans fit mom just the way she likes it. She'll love the nine-inch zipper and casual front pleats. Cut generously to fit a mom's body. She'll want to wear them to everything, from a soccer game to a night on the town. And with your choice of ankle length, capri length, or shorts, you'll find the perfect jean for even the least active of moms. So this Mother's Day, don't give mom that bottle of perfume. Give her something that says, I'm not a woman anymore. I'm a mom. And then I woke up, and they came back in style after that. And all the cool kids are wearing them again. Now, look, I'm not criticizing anybody for their fashion choices. Uh, at least, yeah, no, I'm really not. Uh, what, 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 what I really want to make a bigger point. Clothing, fashion, styles, they come in and out, right? What's popular now isn't, then what isn't is. But that happens to intellectual beliefs as well. That happens to intellectual beliefs as well. What, what was in style is out of style. What's out of style is in style. Do you know 100 years ago, 100 years ago, all the smart people believed in something called eugenics, 
where they tried to perfect humanity through genetic modification, through trying to get rid of what they deemed as inferior races, trying to get rid of people with disabilities. Now, if you believe in eugenics today, 100 years later, you know what you're called? A Nazi. Because they're the ones who perfected the eugenics. They took it to its logical conclusion. But all the smart people believed it 100 years ago. But what the smart people believed 100 years ago is out of style today. What's out of style today uh, what, what may be back in style. Or, or, or what you, you think is so important. You're on the right side of history today. Well, your kids, your grandkids are going to laugh at you. If you want to get on the right side of history, get on the side of Jesus. Because he's the one who stood the test of time. Let's go back to our story in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John have healed this man, and, and the religious leaders, they don't rejoice with him. Like, you, you've been lame for 40 plus years, and now you walk, we're so happy. No. They don't seek the truth. Like, who is Jesus? Maybe he is who he said he was. No. No, no, no. They don't follow the evidence. Instead, they, they, they try to intimidate and silence the, the messenger. They, 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 they throw them in jail to try to shut them up. See, you can't get rid of the facts. So maybe we can get rid of the messengers instead. And, and that's kind of the second point. Unbelief got, gets rid of the message and unbelief rejects the messenger. They throw them in jail and then the next day they call them in front of them and all the important people are there and they start to question Peter and John. Now, who are these guys? Well, they're disciples. Remember, they're fishermen common, uneducated, just normal people. In fact, that's what it says in verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. See, not only is the, the, the healing of this man who had been born lame, not only is that a testimony to the truthfulness of who Jesus is, but also sort of the changed lives of, of Peter and John. They were ordinary nobodies. They weren't sophisticated. They were refined. They hadn't gone to the right schools. They hadn't, didn't live in the right neighborhood. None of that. And yet here they are in the center of this fast-growing faith. But, but again, notice how unbelief works. It's this pattern. Because the religious leaders don't go, now how did these unschooled ordinary men that astonish us, how did they get so much courage that even though they're undergoing persecution, being jailed, intimidated, they continue to preach Jesus. How, how did they, these unschooled ordinary people, how, how did they become such great orators that thousands of people are coming to believe in Jesus as their Savior? But they don't, they don't ask that. I mean, think about where we saw Peter last. What's he doing well, it wasn't that long ago when, when he was standing before the trial of Jesus and the servant girl says to him, hey, aren't you one of his followers? And Peter's like, uh-uh, don't know him. So here's a guy who's scared to death of a servant girl that, that now has, has the courage to stand in the capital and fearlessly proclaim the message of Jesus in front of all kinds of intimidation. Instead of denying him, he's identifying him. And what's changed? Well, he told us. You saw it, right? He'd been with Jesus. They took note that these unschooled ordinary men had been with Jesus. See, when you're with Jesus, you become more like Jesus. When you're with Jesus, you go from being fearful to fearless. You go from pride to humility. When you're with Jesus, you, you start growing from, from lust and becoming more uh, pure. You move from anger to patience. 
from searching for, for something that will satisfy you to experiencing contentment. When you spend time with Jesus, people around you notice. When people around you, your family, your coworkers, whoever you hang out with, when they're around you, your golfing buddies, do they go, man, she's been with Jesus? Or do they say, I think she's been with Netflix? Right? I think he's been with Amazon. I think they've been with TikTok. When I'm around them, I take note that it seems like they've been with what, alcohol? I don't, I don't know. But when people around us, we want them to know, notice that we have been with Jesus. All right, so unbelief, it rejects the message, it rejects the messenger, and lastly, it ultimately rejects the Messiah. Because, see, Peter and John, they were really clear that this really wasn't so much about the healing. This was about Jesus. Because when they're talking to the leaders, they go, how did you get the power to do this? Look what they say, verse 10. It's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified. They take it immediately from the healing to Jesus, to the crucifixion, to the resurrection. That's how this man's healed. They're not focused on the miracle. They put the focus on Jesus. See, the religious leaders, they thought they were arresting the disciples, and they did. I mean, they were, they were going to shut down the, the disciples and reject the messengers. Okay, they did. But really what they're doing, we're being told here, is they're really rejecting Jesus. They're really rejecting the good news of the gospel, that Jesus has died and been raised from the dead. And that's the same thing people happening today. People say, well, I reject the Christian. I reject religion. I reject Christianity. But what they're really doing is rejecting Jesus. They go, no, no, no. I just don't understand all the miracles. I mean, did, did Jonah really get swallowed by a whale and live in there three days? Did, who, who was Cain's wife? Was the world really created in six days? What about all the political activism Christians are doing that seems a little weird? Hey, look, I'm not saying that all those are unimportant. I think they are important. I think there's really good answers to every single one of those. But what I'm saying is ultimately they're not central. Ultimately, Jesus is central. And when you reject Christianity, for whatever reason in your head, you're rejecting Jesus. You're rejecting his love and his mercy and his forgiveness and his grace. You're rejecting his power in your life. So think about these, these, these religious leaders, right? We, we've seen they, they won't look at the facts because they want to maintain power. And so they try to silence the messenger by intimidation, by mocking them. And ultimately, they're rejecting the Messiah. I mean, it seems pretty clear. Why don't more people follow God? Well, because these guys seem pretty hopeless. Unbelief seems powerful. That's what makes a verse a couple chapters later stand out to me. Let's go to it. Acts chapter 6, so two chapters later. So the word of God spread. This thing kept growing. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests. A, a large number of religious leaders became obedient to the faith. Not one, not two, not a few. A large number became followers of Jesus. The same people that were trapped in their unbelief. The same people who were blinded to the truth. The same people who weren't curious about how these disciples' lives had changed are, are now followers of Jesus. How, how'd that happen? Well, because God intervened. Because unbelief is powerful, but God's grace is more powerful still. Because God's grace opened blind eyes and changed a hard heart. 
These priests, these religious leaders who had denied who Jesus was, who had tried to maintain their power, who, who then ultimately came to be his follower, they could go out here and write their story on our God did this board. God changed my life. But see, the same thing that happened to them happened to you and me. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul lists a bunch of sins, right? You'd easily find your, your, your sin on his list. And, and then at the end of all these sins, he says, and that is what some of you were. Some of you were liars. Some of you were greedy. Some of you were uh, angry. Some of you were impatient. Some of you were lustful. Some of you were proud. That is what some of you were. But because of God's grace, you were washed. But because of God's power, you were sanctified. But because of God's love, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, that's our story. Now God has brought us into a community and, and we belong to a community, but we also belong to a mission. A mission to share God's love and mercy and message. And we never give up on people. I, I had a couple people recently that, that shared a story of someone really close to them who, who had denied or rejected or moved away from Christianity. And I could just tell, they didn't say these words, but you could just tell by their body language and tone of voice that they'd given up. Like these people, it, it was over for them. But nobody gets to do that. God raised Jesus from the dead, therefore we write no one off. God did not write off you and I, therefore we don't have the freedom to write anybody off. God's grace can intervene in that person who seems far from God, just like he did in the religious leaders' lives, and just like he did in your and my life. Let's just take a moment and pray for those people in our life who are far from God. Will you bow your head and pray for me? Pray with me. Before we pray for them, can we just pray for ourselves? Can we just say, God, thank you so much that you opened my eyes. Thank you so much, God, that you changed my heart. Because God, I know that if it was up to, to, to me, I would never believe in Jesus. I was trapped in the same unbelief. Thank you for your mercy. Just thank God now. Now, God, we just want to think about all the people that we care about who are far from God, far from you. We pray that you would have mercy on them. And just like you overcame our unbelief and opened our eyes and changed our heart, may you do it also in their life. Would you just take them by name right now to God? And God, we pray for all the people that we haven't yet met. The people that we'll interact with tomorrow, we pray for them. And we pray that we might be your ambassadors of love, that people might see us and, and realize that we're really ordinary, but that we have been with Jesus. May you make that true of us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand to receive God's blessing. May God open your heart so that you, along with all the saints, may know how wide and high and long and deep God's love is for you in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us today. Have a great Sunday.